This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there. Good evening. And what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. It's Tuesday. Happy to be with you. Our telephone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And if you want to get at me on social media, chime in that way. Feel free. The number, the number, the, the handle is at Rich Valdez with an S at the end. So Trump has responded to this clip of audio that we heard yesterday, and I think we still have it available. So I'll ask the team in the studio to queue it up. Uh, so that you can hear it again. You've probably heard it all day. It didn't seem like a smoking gun to me when it came out last night. We played it on last night's show because we try to be ahead of the game. And it, it, again, it didn't seem like anything that was out of the ordinary uh, other than, you know, because it's audio. And unless he goes out of his way to uh, to point things out, you're not going to know what he's doing, what he's saying. And I get it, you know, and I guess the reason I get it, a lot of people call me they're like, you know, I like you, but you're just way too much of an apologist for Trump. And I think it's because in my lifetime, we've never had another New Yorker in such a high office politically. And I know how New Yorkers are. You know, I mean, as a kid growing up, I saw things like this a million times. You know, if somebody was telling a story, they were acting it out with their hands, with whatever props were available. You know, I mean, you, you have to, I can't, count how many times somebody's grabbed me and said, well, no, no, like by the shoulders. No, stand right here. Like, like, this is you. This is him, right? This is him. The guy comes to me and this is him right here. And, you know, moving you as a, as a physical prop. I mean, this is just how New Yorkers are. So I could totally see him saying, you know, and the plans on, oh, of course, it's like confidential. It's top secret and whatever. You know, I could see him saying that, adding, adding that layer of description because he's holding up you know, a paper for whatever and what have you. Makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, but again, I'm a biased New Yorker. What am I going to say? What am I going to do? But to uh, refresh your memories, here is that uh, snippet of audio that CNN broke news with yesterday saying this is the smoking gun that's going to put Trump in jail for the next 400 years. These are bad, sick people. That, but, was, that was your coup, you know, against you. That's well, it started right at the like beginning. Like when Millie's talking about, oh, you were going to try to do a kid. No, they, they were trying right. to do that before you even were sworn in. That's right. Trying yeah. to overthrow your election. Well, with Millie, uh, let me see that. I'll, I'll show you an example. He said that I wanted to attack Iran. 
Isn't it amazing? I have a big pile of papers. This thing just came up. Look. This was him. They presented me this. This is off the record, but they presented me this. This was him. This was the Defense Department and him. Wow. We looked at some. This was him. This wasn't done by me. This was him. All sorts of stuff. It's pages long. Look. Wait a minute. Let's see here. Yeah. I just found, isn't that amazing? This totally wins my case, you know. Mm-hmm. Except it is like highly confidential yeah. secret. <laughs> this is secret information. Yeah. Look, look at this. You attack. And Hillary would print that out all the time, you know. <laughs> send it, you know she'd send it to yeah. Anthony Weiner. Yeah. Yeah. The pervert. Um, by the way, isn't that incredible? Though? Yeah. I was just saying, because we were talking about it. <laughs> And he, you know, he said he wanted to attack Iran and what? He said the papers. This was done by the military, given to me. Uh, I think we can probably, right? I know. We'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll have to try to figure out a, a yeah. See, as president, I could have declassified. Yeah. Uh, now I can't, you know, but this is yeah, classified. Now we have a problem. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's so yeah. cool. Yeah. I mean, it's so, I'm look, we hear and I have a, and you probably almost didn't believe me, but now you believe me. No, I believe It's incredible, right? No, they, hey, bring some, uh, bring some Cokes in, please. <laughs> bring some Cokes in, please. Love that. Anyway, yeah, so again, it, it seems very, rather nondescript to me. He says, hey, let me see that. So obviously he doesn't have the paper in his possession. He grabs the paper, points to some articles or whatever, what have you. And again, I wasn't there. I, I'm just listening. And when I hear his explanation, which we're going to play for you now, I look at that and I say, well, that makes sense to me. It doesn't uh, strike me as, as some sort of smoking gun that you're, uh, for a guy that you had, uh, I don't know, I want to say obvious problems, frequent um, dust-ups with his chief of staff, Mark Meadows. Um, I would say, what, 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 why on earth, just for the sake of somebody writing a book for Mark Meadows, why would you put yourself on the line uh, to even point out, oh, because these are classified documents, because I could do blah, 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 you, you know, and actually show them to somebody. Like, why would you do that? It, it makes no sense, right? I mean, to me, it makes no sense why you would put yourself out there. Now, somebody might say, well, no, because he wanted to show off in front of these people. I mean, I could see wanting to show off, show off in front of people, but I still don't see why you would put yourself in danger of, of, of you know, violating some sort of federal statute, Right. And he clearly says, back when I was president, I could declassify it. Now I'm not, so I can't. So that means he's clearly a- aware of what's going on, cognizant that he can't declassify these documents that he's talking about. So it makes all the sense in the world to me that he was not showing anybody anything that he's not supposed to be showing them. But he clarifies that in an interview uh, earlier um, today on Air Force One. Listen to this. You're not concerned then with your own voice on those on those recordings. My voice was fine. What did I say wrong on those recordings? I didn't even see the recording. All I know is I did nothing wrong. We had a lot of papers, a lot of papers stacked up. In fact, you could hear the rustle of the paper and nobody said I did anything wrong other than the fake news, which, of course, is Fox, too. Are there any other recordings that we should be concerned of? Uh, I don't know of any recordings that you should be uh, concerned with because I don't do things wrong. I do things right. I'm a legitimate person. I'm not like Biden that gets hundreds of millions of dollars from people and countries 
and says, uh, we won't give a billion dollars, but you got to get rid of the prosecutor. And then guys like you don't do anything about it because nothing happens. Now, we do things right, so I don't care about any recordings. Well, there you go. And I, I, I would have said there's probably thousands of recordings. And I'll put a disclaimer on those recordings. Whatever you're about to hear is going to be very, very entertaining. So call a few friends. Right. I mean, th- this is the reality. It, it doesn't when, when you know that you're operating with integrity, what, what are you going to do? Sit there and cry? Oh, I don't know. There's a, of course, I'd say the same thing. I, I literally get on a microphone every day and I, I share my thoughts with you for three hours a day. If somebody came and told me, do you have recordings? Like, yeah, I, I have hundreds and hundreds of hours of recordings. You, you know, it's very difficult for me to walk something back. If I'm wrong on something, I'll say I was wrong. Half the time, more than half the time, I'm not wrong. So good. I'll point out that I was right and my predictions came true. But that wasn't all. Trump continued and um, being very clear in his uh, discussion with these paperwork, with these uh, documents in question, rather, and uh, citing the Presidential Records Act. Listen to this. And I said it very clearly. I had a whole desk full of lots of papers and mostly newspaper articles, copies of magazines, copies of different plans, copies of stories having to do with many, many subjects. And what was said was absolutely fine and worked very perfectly. We did nothing wrong. This is a whole hoax. This is just like the Russia, Russia, Russia deal. This is like the fake dossier. The dossier was a fake. It's all been a big fake. Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. We went through these things ad nauseum. And this is seven years of this stuff. And now this one. And the one who's done it wrong is Biden. He has 850 boxes all over the place. Nobody even knows where they are. He's got many boxes in Chinatown, D.C. What are they doing there? And he's accepting money from China. He's got boxes all over the place. I'm covered by the Presidential Records Act. I'm covered also by the Clinton Sox case. It's a very important case. It's law. And we did absolutely nothing wrong. This is just another hoax. It's called, uh, I would say, election interference more than anything else. It's a disgrace that they can do it. I agree there. Listen, um, we've done it in the past where we've held off. Look, Hunter Biden himself, they wouldn't talk about investigating Hunter Biden because that might taint people's opinion of Joe Biden when he was running back in um, 2020. So why, um, why on earth uh, are we uh, even allowing this investigation of Trump to move forward at this time? I don't know. I think what's good for the goose has to be good for the gander. Anyway, we're going to move on. Uh, there's a interesting headline here. New York City is housing more illegal migrants than homeless people. That's according to a report that came out today. I'm going to get to that in a moment. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. So while uh, New York City is now housing more illegal migrants than homeless people, the Supreme Court um, handed a win, a major victory, on a key immigration case, ruling that Republican-led states do not have standing to challenge a policy narrowing federal immigration enforcement. This was an eight-to-one ruling. Um, United States versus Texas found that Republican states 
did not have the standing to challenge a narrowing of what they call the um, ICE priorities for arrests and deportation of illegal immigrants. And some, the states have brought an extraordinary, excuse me, unusual lawsuit. They want a federal court order for the executive branch to alter its arrest policies so as to make more arrests. Federal courts uh, have not traditionally entertained that kind of lawsuit. Indeed, the states cite no precedent for a lawsuit like that. This um, opinion was written by Justice Brett Kavanaugh, and I'm reading to you from a piece in Fox News. So that's the headline. Supreme Court hands Biden administration major win on challenging uh, ICE enforcement policy. So if it's a big win for Biden's administration, clearly it's a big loss for America and for the brave men and women at the border. So here to talk about that is Chris Cabrera. He is a Border Patrol agent himself. He's the vice president of the Border Patrol Council in the Rio Grande Valley sector. Chris Cabrera, welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. You bet. So um, what's your initial reaction to this uh, Supreme Court uh, victory for Biden? You know, it, it is surprising that the Supreme Court ruled this way, um, but it, it's not surprising at the same time. Uh, it seems like the deck's always stacked against us. And, you know, when the Supreme Court rules, I mean, that's just how it is. Um, unfortunately, I think this is going to give the administration uh, a little more um, a little more determination to keep whittling away at, at what we work so hard to accomplish every day. Now, let's uh, give everybody a snapshot of what's happening. Uh, how do things look at the border? I mean, most of the time we talk about this stuff, all we hear is that it's this endless parade of people and there was, you know, a million people on the other side of the border waiting to come in when Title 42 was lifted. Um, was it as bad as you expected? Has it been that bad since? What's it like right now at the border? You know, it's it's, it's kind of a half and half. You know, it, it the crossings didn't jump like we expected. However, uh, well, uh, the crossings of people turning themselves in didn't jump like we expected. However, the people that are avoiding detection, those numbers have, have seemed to jump. They, what we call uh, the runners or potentially the gotaways. So we're, we're seeing more smuggling cases. Um, we're seeing a lot more hard drugs coming in. And oddly enough, you know, you have thousands upon thousands in the Brownsville area, for instance, thousands of Venezuelans and Colombians waiting on the Mexican side uh, to cross in uh, just up north, up a little bit in McAllen, which is the area I work, there's at least 18,000 Haitians in the city of Reynosa waiting to cross, not to mention a bunch of Cubans and then the regulars that we always see, the the Central Americans, South Americans, uh, Chinese, India, those different countries. So people have come. They just haven't crossed yet, but it's pretty obvious they're not going back to their home country. They're just waiting to see how this plays out. Now, so let's talk about that. What exactly are they waiting for? Um, when is the most opportune time for them to go ahead and make that that cross uh, that trek across the river? Well, you know, they're, they're going to wait um, to to find out what the best time is, and and the best way to do it, from what we've seen, is you know they they wait for family and friends. If uh, you know, regardless of what we say, regardless of what the secretary says or the president says. If one of their family members crosses and makes it through and they're they're set free by the administration, they call home or they post it on Facebook or Instagram or whatever social media platform they prefer and tell their family and friends, hey, I made it through. This is what I said. This is what I did. And they released me. 
So it doesn't really matter what anybody else says. Uh, you know, kind of like with, with you and me, if if a family member or a friend tells you, you know, how to do something, well, you're going to take them at their word. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's the thing right now. Nobody knows if they're sending people back, if they're releasing them, which they are releasing them. Um, but the big numbers haven't come. So, you know, it's obvious they haven't gone home yet. So I think we're just waiting for this this big rush to come. Wow. Folks, we're on with Chris Cabrera, VP of the Border Patrol Council. Now, Chris Cabrera, when you're when you're down there, and I know you know part of your job is to advocate for for the men and women that are serving down at the border. Uh, I, I've heard the the tapes of of Mayorkas visiting, and and you know you guys and and the other superiors that are down there giving him a hard time in in, in a respectful way, but in so much as you know voicing their concerns and him you know, kind of explaining, I understand where you're coming from, but, you know, trying to make it sound like he's in between a rock and a hard place. Um, what's the morale like for the guys down there and the men and women? Well, you know, the morale's in the toilet. You know, I mean, I, I don't think there's any other way to put that. And, you know, the majority of our, not the majority, but a good number of our agents are are veterans. Um, and so we're we're used to taking orders and some orders we don't like, and we just, um, you know, just move forward, drive on and continue with the mission. So to me, it speaks volumes when you, that I, I believe the tape you're referring to is the one that happened in Laredo. When you have mm-hmm. a bunch of agents that will openly challenge the, the secretary of Homeland Security and the chief of the border patrol. I mean, it takes a lot for one of our agents that not to mention a whole room full of them to get frustrated to the point where they're going to openly challenge, uh, you know, somebody not, not just near the top, but at the very top of the organization. So I think it speaks volumes of, of how we feel that this administration and, and the Secretary of Homeland Security has treated our agents. Tell, tell us, I mean, from your view and as much as you can, what what is some of the um, disdain that you hear when people come to you and they say, man, this is just not working out for me? You know, what are some of the complaints you're hearing from the Border Patrol agents? Well, you know, in regards to with uh, the secretary, when that whole horse whipping uh, nonsense mm-hmm. went on, um, he knew that that it wasn't what was being portrayed. He knew that that it was being, um, you know, inflated, and he stuck with the story and and for the most part, you know, insinuated that our agents were were systematically uh, racist individuals, which is is you know that that's a non-starter for us. We're not going to take you um, one treating us like that and to accusing our, our, our brothers and sisters in green of being racist. Nothing can be farther from the truth. Uh, the other thing we see a lot of is um, the agents aren't happy with uh, how, how this is playing out. I mean, 40, 50, 60 percent of our agents at the beginning of the day are stuck inside processing, doing babysitter, babysitting duties, um, um, you know, stuff that, that we're not designed to do. Uh, and on top of that, more and more gets called in. So there's days where we have, you know, two or three, four agents for 50, 60 miles of border. Uh, so it's, it's extremely wow. unsafe for our agents that are out there. And it's, it's, it's flying in the face of what our, our, um, our job, our job description is. Chris Cabrera, hang on real quick. Folks, we're on with Chris Cabrera, Vice President of the Border Patrol Council. We're coming right back with him to continue our discussion on what's happening at the border. It's America at night. I'm Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. America. Welcome back. We're on with Chris Cabrera. He is the vice president of the Border Patrol Council. He's a Border Patrol agent himself in the Rio Grande Valley sector. Chris Cabrera, welcome back. I want to give the audience a real bird's eye view of what it's like. I mean, I can honestly tell you, other than watching the news, if you ever watched a movie and you see people going through the border, it looks like a relatively painless experience and it's a very, very innocuous event. Um, I think when, when people hear that it's very dangerous there, I think some people are skeptical because they think, no, well, I mean, I've seen it. It's not that bad. But I, I've, seen, I've seen some of these videos, and it's absolutely insane. Um, tell the audience and tell me, share with us, if you will, what, um, w- what it's like in your perspective with respect to being dangerous. You know, I think I have a pretty uh, unique perspective on it. Uh, I I grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, so uh, when I joined the Border Patrol, I had no idea there was a Border Patrol. I had no idea what it was. Uh, And then I I got on the job, and, um, you know, like most people, I was kind of skeptical of the stories I would hear. And and then, you know, 21 years later, I've lived it. Um, You know, we've seen, you know, recovered bodies of of infants. Um, I, I had a a nine-year-old boy have a heat stroke in, in front of me and, and, and pass. Um, oh, we've yeah. seen women after the, um, the after effects of them getting violated in, in front of their, their husband and, and kids. Um, now, let me pause right there. I, I've had a guest on this program before that mentioned that this is so common that they even have um, like a setup for it called a rape tree. Is this true? Have you heard about this? Yeah, you know, and I haven't seen one. Uh, you know, we, we used to see them in our area, um, and, but I probably haven't seen one in, in a good 10 years. But, yeah, okay. there were little areas where, where they would do that. Um, but we have we've heard of, of people getting raped on the Mexican side. Um, we've even uh, you know, witnessed, well, not witnessed it, but we, we've taken statements from people that were crossed by the smugglers and then violated right on our riverbanks, and the smuggler just jumps back over. Uh, you know, back into the water because, you know, they, you know, if they're back there, there's nothing we can do. Right. Um, now, you said, you, you know, we've, we've taken statements from women who were, were violated in front of their husbands. Was this done to, yeah. like, control them or to punish the husbands or is it just how they do it? It's just how they do it. I mean, it was uh, maybe about eight, ten years ago we were seeing a, a bunch of Brazilians that were coming across and it, and it got to a point where it was becoming a regular thing to the point where we had to take action and, and put people down on their hide them in the brush and, and be able to stop these guys before they got started. Um, so we've seen that we've, you know, not too long ago, we had a 13 year old girl that turned herself into us and, you know, poor, poor thing. She, she didn't say a word. She just handed us her documents and cried for an hour and a half until the bus came to pick her up. You know, um, you know, we've, I, I saw a, um, I can't say old, but she was older, an older woman in her late 60s. 
and you know her orbital bone was broken her her mouth was was busted up and some guys tried to get her 12 year old granddaughter and and she fought them off you know and she you know you know kudos to her she did what she had to do but uh it is dangerous and then you have you know what happens in arizona it's a a four or five out four four or five day walk through the desert if they get past our initial agents then they'll walk through south texas which uh, poses its own problems with the heat with the exposure the lack of water the rattlesnakes um so we we do find a lot of uh, bodies and then you have the violence uh, on uh just on the trip up here you know if, if a seven eight nine year old girl is just traveling by themselves even with a, a sibling if a, if a bad person wants that little girl or little boy there's nobody to stop them so many children don't make this journey and then you have what happens as far as the river goes um i worked on boats for six years and we would come up on a raft with a, a smuggler and you know 10 12 people and the smuggler knows that he's getting ready to get arrested. So what he'll do is purposefully flip that, that raft. So now everybody's in the water. And as an agent, we have a choice. Do we arrest this guy or do we save these 12 save people, the people from drowning? Wow. You know, and, and they know that. So it's just an everyday thing. They don't treat these people as human. They treat them like cargo. And I think that's why anybody who works this, this border knows that the reason we don't want people to cross is, is not because we don't want people to come into our country. Is we don't want to see what happens when people will risk everything, will risk their life to come and not make it. And, and we see too much, too much death, too much destruction at, at these people's hands, all for money. And, and it's just it's not worth the price. It's not worth it. Wow. Folks, we're on with Chris Cabrera. He's uh, vice president of the Border Patrol Council, and uh, he's with us for one more segment. We're going to wrap it up when we come back. Uh, if you're interested in uh, asking him a question, feel free, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back. Our guest, Chris Cabrera, Vice President of the Border Patrol Council. And Chris Cabrera, before we wrap, I want you to share with the audience just a little bit of how do you think we can fix um, some of the issues that, that you guys are seeing, specifically Border Patrol agents, not fix America's immigration system. You can answer that as well. But specifically, how, do we, how can we make things better? If anybody's listening, um, that, that has Biden's ear. How do we make things better for you, the men and women at the border? I think it's a very simple fix. I mean, nothing simple in the government, but uh, the, um, you know, it, it, mandatory detention, mandatory removal. Uh, everybody that comes, they, they, they are held until they have their hearing. You fast track these hearings, you put them on the front end. For some reason, we're waiting years and years for an in-person hearing uh, before an immigration judge yet somebody can get a, an arraignment by Skype if they're charged with murder. Why, why can't we do that with these, uh, with these uh, asylum hearings? Maybe not the full process, but the initial hearing. And 
when some of these claims that people come out with at the beginning, um, if they're disqualified, send them back immediately. Um, mandatory detention, mandatory removal, that that removes the um, the incentive to come. Because what happens, they come in, they're waiting for four or five years. In the meantime, they disappear into the country. They they get some type of benefits. They, they work under the table. And then when it comes time for the final hearing, they just uh, disappear into a, a sanctuary city. So if you do mandatory detention, mandatory removal, you stop this in, in uh, incentive for coming, um, it, it'll, it'll work itself out. You know, they, the bottom line is we need to enforce these laws that are on the books. And if Congress doesn't like these laws, then they need to change them. But until they change them, that's what we have to go by. So either they get off their, their, their butts and, and do it or let somebody else in there that's willing to do it. And immigration should not be used as a political football um, because there are lives at stake here. There are, are, are men, women, and children that are suffering daily with what's going on. And, you know, if th- these people in Congress cared anything for, for, for mankind, their, their fellow humans, they, they would do something about this. It just seems that this has become a, a political issue, a red versus blue, a, a gang mentality, and that's just not how our government should work. Yeah, that's sad. It's sad truth. Now, Chris Cabrera, I know that we've spoken with many in law enforcement at the local level, you know, from 2020 to now. A lot of people have uh, experienced like defund the police. I know there was an abolish ICE movement as well. Um, Are you experiencing the same thing that many police departments are experiencing where people just don't want to serve in the Border Patrol the same way people just don't want to be cops anymore and you've got a, a rapid uh, increase in retirements leaving you shorthanded or are you guys good with recruitment? You know, we, we've never been good with recruitment for the simple fact that is um, we rest more than any three or four or five agencies combined yearly. Um, we um, we're always outside. We, some of the places that you end up in the border patrol are, you know, let's face it, you know, some places in West Texas or New Mexico are not the most desirable uh, places to live and, you know, then with what's going on and then how we're hamstrung and not allowed to do our job, a lot of people are looking for greener pastures, better pay. And, uh, for instance, if, if you have a, a, a young man joins patrol from, say, Charlotte, North Carolina, and he ends up in the border, um, his wife might not be happy with being in, say, you know, Presidio, Texas, where it's two hours to a Walmart or something like that. Um, but yet ICE, ICE comes along and says, hey, we'll pay you more money and we'll get you close to home. And you can work Monday through Friday, weekends and holidays off. Of course, they're going to jump ship and go. You know, it, you know what's the saying? Happy wife, happy life. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's, um, we, we have a lot of issues with recruitment. For every one that we get in, we have two that retire. Um, so we can't, even, we, we can't even stem the flow of in our, in our own agency as far as recruitment, um, not to mention the folks that are leaving to, to greener pastures. But it does take, a, you know, a different type of person to become a Border Patrol agent. Um, it's, you know, you see a lot of odd things out there. You work, you know, obviously shift work. Um, you can't be afraid of spiders or snakes. You know, you're always outside. Uh, it's a fun job. It's like being a kid again. You just get better toys, but it's not for everybody. <laughs> so what do you guys do to mitigate that? How do you manage this ongoing, uh, recruitment issue? Well, you know, we, we as a union, we've tried several things. We were trying to get, a. Uh, um, incentives to, uh, you know, retention bonuses to stay. There's been talk of 
of uh, you know pay parity. Um, we we as far as federal agencies go, we we don't get we we get paid decent, but we're not up there with some of the other federal agencies that that don't work the hours or in the conditions that we work. Um, but for the most part, I think you know those would be great to have. But at the same time, I think people would be happy with just letting us do our job. I mean, we're probably the only union you ever heard of that is asking for more work. We're, you know, we don't care what most unions are, you know, where's our coffee machine or our you know, lumbar support for our chairs. You know what? Just let us work. We just want to work. And if you let our agents go out there and work and do their job the way we were uh, trained to do this job, I, I think you, you wouldn't have a problem with recruitment. Yeah. Well, let everybody know if they want to follow you on social media or if you want to plug a website, let them know how they could keep up with the work that you're doing at the Border Patrol Council. Uh, mine is uh, NBPC, National Border Patrol Council, NBPC underscore Cabrera, C-A-B-R-E-R-A. And, and Rich, if you're ever down this way and you want to take a look, uh, you know, on the, on the border, not the uh, agency dog and pony show, but from what we see, I'll, I'll take you myself. I'll you throw you in the truck and we'll go see what we can get into. Absolutely. I'll definitely take you up on that. I'm scheduled to go to Dallas, Fort Worth area, and I could swing down a little further to get down to McAllen. I'd love it. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. All right, folks, give them a follow and uh, Godspeed to you, Chris Cabrera. That's a lot of work that you're doing. Um, hopeful that you'll come back and give us a more positive update soon. All right. Thank you. I appreciate you guys uh, taking the time to have me on. You bet. Anytime. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Rich Valdez, who again will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to it. This is America at Night with Rich All right, America, welcome back. And um, I mentioned this earlier. New York City is housing more illegal migrants than homeless people, according to this report from NBC4 New York. Listen to this. As of Sunday, New York City had 50,000 illegal immigrants in its care, including those in local hotels, temporary shelters as well, and... 49,700 local homeless residents is, I mean, that's, that's insane to me that the homeless in a city, uh, the size of New York are less than the amount of immigrants. And I mean, the reason it's astounding is because when you go to New York city, it's like they all live on the street. They're everywhere. The influx of migrants crossing the southern border illegally has led to more migrants arriving in the Big Apple, some of whom have been bussed in by Republican governor from Texas, Greg Abbott. Because 
he's been dealing with this over there and said, oh, let's send him over there. Wow, look at this. The city's turned the historic Roosevelt Hotel, which closed three years ago, into a migrant shelter. Man, let me tell you. So this hotel, the Roosevelt Hotel, I've been there, like, hanging out. There's a, a beautiful rooftop. You've seen it in so many movies. It, in the movies, it has, like, this huge neon sign that says Hotel Roosevelt. And it's on the roof, and there's a big rooftop deck, and it's a really, really great place. Um, the whole entire hotel is a homeless shelter, a migrant shelter, excuse me. That's amazing. This is literally directly across the street from Lincoln Center. I mean, it just blows me away that this is happening, and it seems to only be getting worse. <clears throat> anyway, New York City Mayor Eric Adams uh, floated the idea of asking residents to help uh, house some of these migrants in their homes. Now, of course, I, I beat them up on the radio for that, but the reality is it's a great idea. That's how you stop this thing from moving forward. Go, listen, we can let in as many as you'd like. We just, how many, just raise your hand. How many do you want? How many do you want? And there's a couple of wise guys out there and good for them. You know, these uh, social media influencer types, conservative influencers that go out to like boardwalks or Times Square or wherever they go. And they just start, you know, man on the street interviews with people saying, hey, uh, would you like to sign a petition uh, to support immigration for people coming across the border? Yeah, I'd love that. And they go at the end of it, they go, all right, how many would you like to sign up for? And they go, what do you mean? How many would you like to allow in your house? And they don't know they're on tape. Uh, and then they start or they, you know, they don't they forget they're on tape and they're like, oh, I can't have those in my house. I can't do that. I live I live alone in a small place. And they start making up their excuses. And it's because they start to think really with their mind. They use logic instead of using emotion. And that to me is what this debate really is. It's about logic versus emotion. And we have to focus on what really happens. What is logical? We can't sit here and focus on uh, the, the way that, that we respond to things through emotion. That just isn't going to do it. Anyway, Adams, uh, Mayor Adams, he says, it's my vision to take the next step to this, to go to the faith-based uh, locales and then move to private residents because there are residents who are suffering right now because of these economic challenges. We had that audio. We played it about a month ago when it came out. And all I could say is, I'm sure he meant well, but he sounded silly saying it. Anybody who's going to suggest that you should open up your home to take in illegal immigrants is out of their mind. And again, there's a whole party of people that are out of their mind, right? And they're all in Washington. And it's probably two parties, honestly. But point is, this thing is out of control. And the fact that now New York City now has more illegal immigrants than homeless people is just bizarre to me that it's actually happening and they're taking over these iconic hotels. And it makes me think, how do you succeed? How do you succeed in an economy where you're not making the money that you used to make? I mean, if the city is the number one patron of the Roosevelt Hotel, how long can that last? And do the t taxpayers realize that the city is going to be the singular patron of the Roosevelt Hotel? How long does that last before they go, nah, I'm not going to pay taxes anymore. I'm going to do what I can to not pay taxes because this is where it goes. It just gets tossed uh, by the wayside. Anyway, we're going to continue our discussion on immigration as well as Trump and the, uh, the CNN tapes and everything else that we've discussed tonight. 
But some of the other issues that we need to discuss with respect to immigration overall is the idea that some people say, well, look, I will um, sign an affidavit of support to bring so-and-so into the country. And that allows them to apply for the ability to come to the United States. However, some are saying these affidavits of support are the most worthless currency out there. So we're going to talk a little bit about how we can remedy that or how to get around that, how, how we should be getting around that. Don't go anywhere. Phone number 833-4825-337-8334, Valdez. I am Rich Valdez, and we're coming right back. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And there's a couple of stories I want to get with you, uh, run by you, get to right now. Listen to this. Uh, Supreme Court sides with a man who sent unwanted messages to a musician under free speech laws. (laughs) And the reason I bring up the Supreme Court is not really for that story. But it was because of uh, the other story. I think it's the the Moore case where they decided that people that believe that Article 3, Section 2, I think I got that right, uh, where it says that the states, uh, or particularly state legislatures, have control over the time, place, and manner of elections is accurate, and that is the Constitution. However, state courts will still govern that as a matter of uh, law, right, according to the Supreme Court. And um, those that dissented, right, my favorites, Clarence Thomas, Sam Alito, not a favorite of mine, Neil Gorsuch, but those three felt that this, you know, uh, who are originalists that believe in the text of the constitution felt that that was the way you were supposed to interpret that. However, the rest of the gang, like justice Sotomayor and her sidekick, chief justice, John Roberts, as well as the rest of the gang, they decided, no, we're going to allow states to have that control by way of the court. In effect, making the case that a state legislature would be, and these are my words, not theirs. I'm giving you my interpretation. That it would be somehow arbitrary or capricious for for them to be the sole deciders or arbiters of election law. So, in effect, they're allowing a court, right, which is made up of usually a judge, a judge, 
not, you know, nine judges like our Supreme Court, but a singular judge to make the arbitrary and capricious uh, decision on behalf of the people. Last I checked, it's not judges that represent people. It's the representatives of the people that represent the people. And last I checked, elections were the manifestation of the will of the people by way of a ballot, a secret ballot. So I have to say I'm, I'm disappointed with the Supreme Court's decision today. And, or I should, maybe last night when it came out, whatever it was. It's, I think it's the wrong thing to do. And it's not the first time we've seen them uh, err, E-R-R, and it's not the last time. But part of what we do here is make sure that we call it out so that we know what's going on. doesn't mean that, you know, in my opinion, it doesn't mean that it's the end of America as we know it. But I'd say we're a lot closer to a new America than we are to the America that once was. And, and that's the part that's scary because, you know, the progressive, political progressive, that's what they want, this type of progress that goes in that direction. And it's, uh, it's just uh, unfortunate. But in other news, I, I want to talk about artificial intelligence. Now, artificial intelligence also is problematic. And President Biden recently uh, had a, um, an, um, it wasn't a summit, but he gave a speech on artificial intelligence at a meeting that he had there. And we're going to get to that a little bit later. But first, I want to continue our discussion on immigration. Because, as I mentioned before we took the break, people have to do all sorts of things to get into the country. And it doesn't mean that the system that we have is working well or effectively or correctly. And it's something I think we need to look at. In particular, immigration affidavits, which Simon Hankinson from the um, Heritage Foundation is saying that are the world's most worthless currency. And uh, I can't wait to hear why. Simon Hankinson, welcome. That's great to be with you, Rich. My pleasure. So let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, the system overall, you know, bringing foreign relatives over to the United States, going through the process of, of using um, these immigration affidavits, using uh, parole, abusing parole, and, and the rest of the processes so that everybody that's listening can be up to speed. Sure. Well, the, the traditional immigration process is that you would apply for a relative to come or an employer would petition. Yeah, for Simon, I'm just going to pause you real quick because it sounds like there's something wrong with your phone line. So I'm going to put you on hold for a second while they get that sorted out for you. But I know that there's a lot of people uh, with a lot of questions. And, you know, whenever I bring up this topic, people always call in to the show and, and they always say, you know, when my, my family came here, we had to make sure that we uh, agreed to, to take care of the people that we had. And we were going to support them and we were going to do this. And, and this idea, you know, like public charge rules and whatnot. And, and these are things that seem to have kind of dissipated and fallen by the wayside where they no longer seem to be the case. So 
I know that that's a, an area where it's a bone of contention and it's an area that we definitely have to, to work on. Do we have Simon? All right. As we work on reestablishing the connection, because the deep state every now and again likes to, uh, you know, to do what the deep state does. And if it's just bad technology, I'll still blame it on the deep state because, you know, it's just a little bit more nefarious that way. And it makes it a little bit more exciting. But uh, Simon Hankinson, again, he's a senior research fellow and uh, board at the Border Security and Immigration Center at the Heritage Foundation. Simon, welcome back. Thank you. You bet. So uh, walk us through this for a couple of minutes before we take a, a pause and then come back and, and, and put a nail in it. But um, we have a system. The system's not working ideally. Um, break it down. Sure. Well, the way the system is supposed to work is that uh, you as an American citizen or as an American employer would petition for uh, someone to come from a foreign country into the U.S. So it might be your brother or sister or your spouse or if you're a company, somebody you want to come work for you. You fill out a petition. Uh, if it's a family member, you're supposed to fill out an affidavit of support, this uh, immigration form 864 that says that you'll take care of them when they come here and you have enough money to support them. Um, and, and traditionally, it, it's brought in about 850,000 people a year, give or take. Um, but in the last uh, two years under President Biden, we've had this use of immigration parole, um, which has been completely blown up out of all proportion historically from you know a couple hundred a year to 30,000 a month uh, and now probably 40,000, 50,000 a month. So wow. the, the, whole, the whole system is, is just completely out of whack. Um, and, and these affidavits of support for, for all the value that they had in the past, uh, they, they have a lot less now. So what's the process? Uh, I mean, obviously, other than stemming the tide a little bit here of, of illegal, illegal immigration, but what is, um, and even the, the massive part of the, the chain migration, what is the process to giving those value again? Or is it to just kind of get rid of them and get rid of the process? What say you? You know, there, it, there's so much on that menu. I, I would certainly start by cracking down on this abuse of parole by, by the administration. It's never been done before by Democrats or Republicans. Um, but if, if we're going to have a, a system that works, if we have paper, it's got to have value. So if you're going to make someone sign an affidavit of support that says they're going to take care of their relative, and the Biden administration is expanding this out to this uh, system where you can petition for uh, Ukrainians or, or Venezuelans or Nicaraguans or whatever people coming in uh, as, as uh, asylees or people are claiming to be asylees, um, we, we've got to make it have some teeth. You can't just have someone sign a blank check and then not put them on the hook for anything. And that's really what we have now. To my knowledge, there's never been a case of uh, anyone being sued by the federal government to, to pony up when they said they could take care of somebody. Um, so maybe they could put down a deposit or, or maybe the, the government could get serious about making people at least pay what they promised to pay. Wow. Well, let's continue to pull out that thread because I think that's an interesting conversation. Our guest again, Simon Hankinson, senior research fellow and um, at, excuse me, the Border Security and Immigration Center at the Heritage Foundation. We're going to continue with him, plus your phone calls, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. 482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. 
That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES. That's Valdez with an S. Welcome back. Rich Valdez. We're on with Simon Hankinson. Now, Simon is a senior research fellow at the Border Security and Immigration Center at the Heritage Foundation. And we're going over the abuse of the parole system um, unlike we've ever seen before. Now, Simon Hankinson, I've had this discussion with a few other people at different times. What, in your best estimation, what possessed the Biden administration to think that they could do this and and abuse uh, the parole system in this way? You know, that's a really good question. I mean, I guess one thing is motivation. Why did they do it? And the second is, why did they think they could get away with it? And the reason why, right. I think, comes down to electoral advantage. Uh, they, they have this assumption that everybody who comes in is going to vote for them, which I'm not sure is entirely true, given some trends we've seen, particularly among Hispanic voters. Sure. Um, they they have some uh, ideological objections to borders. You know, if you, if you look at the people who are running the administration, uh, you know, the 35-year-olds in the, in the White House, um, these are people who came from activist groups that just genuinely believe that everybody should be allowed to go wherever they want to go. Um, so there's a, there's a political element to it, too. And then I think the third thing is probably extortion, that they say, well, look, you know, Mallorca is always saying Congress needs to, to do this, basically give us what we want or else, you know, the country gets it. And so they're pointing this gun to our head that's loaded with, uh, you know, 250,000 illegal immigrants a month um, and, and they're pulling the trigger. Uh, but but the second question is, you know, how did they think they would get away with it? And, and that, to me, is kind of a mystery. They're, they're being sued by several states. Um, what they're doing with parole is, is clearly illegal, and it was never even attempted by the Clinton administration or by any other, uh, the Obama administration, Democrats or Republicans, as far back as I can remember, in, in this kind of scale. So I think they, they rolled the dice, uh, just like they did with student loan forgiveness and so many other things, and so far, unfortunately, they've gotten away with it. Yeah, very lofty goals indeed. Now, this uh, argument um, that chain migration is part of the Constitution and it can't ever be undone, what's your your take on that? Because I don't see how it's sustainable forever, right? If everybody can bring, you know, I I think the current number is like 18 or 19 people for every one person uh, that applies and becomes a citizen. Um, A, do you think it's sustainable? And B, do you think it's constitutionally protected? Well, I certainly don't think it's constitutionally protected because there's nothing in the Constitution that I can remember that, that talks about numbers on immigration. Well, I think or... that they're, they're basing it on, I, I think it was the, um, uh, the, I think it was the, 14th, the 17th Amendment, uh, where, where they came up with this whole plan of chain migration, how they justified it to begin with. Well, the, the Immigration and Nationality Act has been uh, amended many, many times, and the caps that are in there are decided by Congress and inserted into the law. So 
they could very easily decide to, for example, uh, cut out the brother and sister category, the fifth preference. Right. Um, you know, right now you, you have somebody coming from a country traditionally that had lots of you know, large families. They have six, seven brothers and sisters. They bring them all in. Each of those people is married to somebody, and they all have brothers and sisters. And like you said, it's eighteen, fifty people a person. Um, but they could get rid of that preference by law, and, and that would cut it down dramatically. So it's definitely, in, in my opinion, it's not it's not constitutionally protected. It's it's just a decision, a political decision that could be uh, undone as much as it was done. Why do you think we haven't tackled um, that ever? <laughs> you know, it's not a talking point amongst Republicans or Democrats. While it seems to be a legitimate issue, uh, I mean, I'm guessing there are bigger fish to fry right now with, you know, we just talked with the, a Border Patrol agent telling us how crazy things are at the border. But presuming we can get the border under control, uh, to me, it seems uh, like a sensible idea. Why do you think there hasn't been the political will? The problem with immigration is that you know people can be uh, against it, or they can. You know, I'm, I'm an immigrant myself. I came here when I was six. I'm for legal immigration, but I want it to be under control and I want it to be limited according to the needs of, of the country. But as soon as you start getting down to the weeds, you know, everybody has their pet category or their pet immigrant. And even on the right, you have uh, the hotel industry or the agriculture industry or the, the, the chicken processing plants, or there are all kinds of different. You know, lobbies that say, well, you know, we want to carve out for this particular group or that particular group. And you've got the tech industry um, and the, the Indian Americans that make up a significant proportion of, of the H-1Bs that converted into legal permanent residents. So it always fails in the weeds. You know, if you look at what the, the intent of Congress, they, they come out with these reports and they get a general sense that they want to go in a particular direction. But when it comes time to actually passing a law, uh, it just sort of crumbles under the weight of all the junk that they want to stick into it. That makes a lot of sense. Now, uh, Simon Hankinson, let everybody know um, the type of work that you guys work on uh, at the Border Security and Immigration Center and how they could uh, learn more about it. Sure. Um, Our centers have been around for about a year and a half at Heritage, although we've covered this issue for a lot longer than that. And we do research into immigration and uh, border security policy uh, with the intent of coming up with some solutions to, to what's going on now, which obviously is a complete disaster. Um, and then in the future, uh, ways to come up with an immigration policy that serves the interests of the United States and not necessarily the interests of people who just happen to be able to get their way up to the border. Um, we publish uh, research and reports on our website at uh, heritage.org. Um, I always tweet out my stuff at, at Watchful Waiter One on, on Twitter, and we're, we're pretty easy to find out there. Outstanding. Well, I want to thank you for being with us and helping us make sense of some of that. Uh, always good to bring in a scholar who kind of works on these things from a policy perspective to help us understand. Uh, Godspeed to you, my brother. I appreciate it and hope to have you back soon. Appreciate it, Rich. Thanks. You bet. Uh, folks, we're going to continue our conversation. But first, I want to just point out that there are now have been uh, charges, arrest charges, uh, regarding the people that were responsible for trapping 53 border crossers in the back of a semi-truck last year. They died from heat exhaustion and uh, dehydration. Well, four Mexican nationals were arrested today over that incident. Uh, we'll get to that uh, at the top of the next hour. Plus, we're going to talk about artificial intelligence, as I mentioned earlier. So don't go anywhere. There's a lot more to come. I am Rich Valdez. 
It's America at Night, and we're coming right back. Welcome back. We are having a discussion, a discussion on artificial intelligence. I mean, there's a lot of stories out there. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at one here in Yahoo News. Music industry sounds alarm over artificial intelligence threat, calling on Congress to act. M- many people. Uh, here's another one. New York Times. AI's use in elections sets off a scramble for the guardrails. And uh, I don't blame people for being uh, upset concerned, scared uh, about what's going on with artificial intelligence. Uh, but it's in the workplace today. And uh, James Chernowski, senior policy analyst in technology and innovation at Americans for Prosperity, uh, he's with us to help us make sense of what Biden was talking about with respect to his plans for artificial intelligence. James Chernowski, welcome, sir. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right, let's get them uh, set up so we could hear them. I'm not ha- having uh, the ability to hear you. Uh, but while we work on getting James audible, let's um, just remember that President Biden had a, a uh, I'm going to call it like a mini forum, because, you know, if they called it a summit, that it was not. It was like 50 people in the room from what I saw. Uh, and, and there was a couple of things he said. We have a clip of audio. Go right ahead. In seizing this moment, we need to manage the risks uh, to our society, to our economy and our national security. My administration is committed, is committed to safeguarding America's rights and safety, from protecting privacy to addressing bias and disinformation, to making sure AI systems are safe before they are released. So Biden says we've got to make sure things are safe before they're released. I mean, that's, you know. This is more rhetoric, more the same. Uh, clearly, this is the Wild West, and I, I don't know how much regulation is going to stop it from being uh, crazy. But, James Chernowski, uh, what say you? What do you think is the, um, the right way to handle this uh, new conundrum we have with AI? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think that when we're looking at artificial intelligence as a piece of technology, I think that we have to do a, a, a really cognizant job of trying to remember that while it's being portrayed as the Wild West, there's actually a lot of existing rules and regulations that govern how the technology works. So I think that, you know, it's more of a case scenario of, you know, if you're, uh, if you're a regulator, understanding how the technology interacts with the rules that you have governing your sector of the economy, if you're the FTC, if you're the equal uh, the, the equal opportunity employment office if you're the doj understanding how this technology works what it can and more importantly what it cannot do and and actually going and trying to apply existing laws first before going and having new laws put on the books i think that yes it's, it's totally fair to have those concerns around ai but i think that we need to have a leveled conversation because a lot of people right now are thinking that ai is going to be something that goes and uh you know, creates this uh, Terminator-like fanfic scenario where it's the, you know, death of humanity. And that's not an accurate representation of what's actually, you know, I think 
going to happen with this technology. Well, right now we've got chat GPT that is, um, you know, for, I guess, lack of a better word, plagiarizing or stealing others intellectual property. So you're saying rules that already govern intellectual property are what we should use uh, to, to deal with those situations, uh, not necessarily create new rules that govern this technology per se. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing at least that comes particularly with, um, you know, intellectual property is that, um, you know, this has certainly been part of the conversation for the, the writer strike, let's say, out in California. Um, and I know that it was mentioned in Congress about how, you know, you're going to compensate music artists and whatnot, too. And I think that those are very important conversations to have. I think that artists deserve to get their compensation. I think that it's a matter of understanding how the technology works and what it's doing and to make sure that we're compensating people fairly um, and not necessarily creating a system that might, you know, create something that's abusive that might actually undermine the use of the technology more broadly speaking. So is that important? Absolutely. Um, there's already existing rules that are doing uh, covering this. And I think that the companies are also trying to think through how they can productively um, address some of these concerns that are rightly being raised by artists, writers, creatives, and, and those types. Well, and I'm thinking of like situations where there are videos I've seen of, of, you know, President Biden, for example, or President Trump, um, either giving a speech or photos, you know, there were photos of Trump getting locked up by NYPD, things that never happened, but they were out there and, and they create this, this idea. And again, they could have been sketches. They could have been whatever they, um, their video of Biden saying things he'd never, ever said because they used his voice to, you know, to make a deep fake. Uh, again, I get that there are rules out there that might govern how you would do that in other scenarios, but it seems like the technology allows this problem to uh, exist at a whole new scale, and I think that's the concern. Uh, do you think that the existing rules and regulations can be brought to scale just like AI has? Yeah, absolutely, and I think to go and tackle some of the examples that you, you put out there, it's uh, a situation where you know, when, when we're looking at it, that, you know, deep fakes have been around for a while. We're getting better at understanding and identifying how they work and what the process is for, you know, being able to distinguish between the two. I think that, you know, part of the equation here is also just like a consumer facing mission where we have to do a better job of helping, you know, young users, particularly that are going to be increasingly using this technology moving forward and understanding what what is and is not real. Um, it's not, it's not as difficult as perhaps one would think. Um, you know, I know some examples too, are like the RNC, for example, used a, a, a political ad that was purely done by generative AI. They didn't hide the ball there yet. You had some calls from people in Congress looking to want to go and have regulations there. And it doesn't necessarily make sense. It's not that artificial intelligence is going and all of a sudden making political ads less wholesome or less truthful or something. So I think that you know, again, there just needs to be a more balanced conversation that kind of, uh, you know, figures out these targeted, you know, solutions that go and address these real and identifiable harms. What are some of the things you'd like to add to the balanced conversation for the millions of people listening? Yeah, I think that, again, when it comes to AI, it's about understanding what the technology can do and most importantly, what it doesn't do. Um, I think that, you know, there's a lot of concerns, let's say, around jobs for artificial intelligence. It's not going to be some massive job killer. I know that that's the popular you know, uh, kind of picture that's being painted here, but that's not necessarily how it's going to pan out. It is a transformative technology. It is going to certainly change a lot of industries and how they work and operate. 
um, as we figure out how to best leverage it in those particularized use cases. But at the end of the day, it still is something that I think, you know, again, it's, it's not going to go and just replace all jobs. A New York lawyer, for example, thought that he could use ChatGPT to go and file his legal brief. Turns out, you know, the AI is not exactly up to snuff with figuring out how the law works and it was making up case law. And the judge was able to go and figure out that the lawyer had probably used this technology and he got fined $5,000 for doing it. So I think that there are actually some pretty good controls already existing uh, that cover a lot of this. And then, like I said, again, it's just more of a a case of trying to understand, you know, how do we go and put in those guardrails? Sometimes it's like, you know, self-governing practices. So like, for example, with the lawyer situation, while that happened in New York, another judge in a separate area was actually going and making a lawyer signed an affidavit claiming that they uh, that they basically did not go and use artificial intelligence to go and create their briefs. So there are other kinds of non-government regulations um, that can go and solve some of this. I think that you know those are the kinds of things that we need to focus on, and not necessarily go and be too reactionary to go and uh, you know tackle these issues that are popping up. Now, James, if people want to learn more about the work that you're doing at Americans for Prosperity, how do they uh, find you? Where do they go? Yeah, so you can visit our, our website at americansforprosperity.org. You can follow me for my musings on artificial intelligence and all other kinds of tech policy on Twitter at jamescz19. Outstanding. Folks, give them a follow. Check out the work they're doing. americansforprosperity.org is the website. And uh, James Chernowski, I want to thank you for being with us. Uh, real pleasure. Very enlightening. Thank you very much. You bet. Folks, more to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And as we were talking about AI, very interesting stuff here, right? So these musicians are now um, running over to Congress saying, hey, look, we need your help. This is pretty interesting. There's something called the Music Modernization Act, and it passed just a few years ago in Congress. And some are saying it might become obsolete because of the threat of artificial intelligence. And again, I'm not necessarily on one side of this or the other per se. Uh, I'm just, I find it an interesting story. Now, uh, some of the folks coming out of Nashville um, earlier today at a hearing were saying things like this. Uh, if we don't get AI right, it could very well render not only the Music Modernization Act obsolete, but also the policy choices we make next. The stakes could hardly be higher. That's uh, Congressman Daryl Issa from California writing in an op-ed ahead of the hearing. Issa, who chairs the House Judiciary uh, Subcommittee on Courts, Intellectual Property, and the Internet, convened the hearing featuring music executives, musicians, and songwriters. Congress passed this uh, 
RNG Hatch Bob Goodlatte Music Modernization Act in 2018 with the intention of making both statutory licensing and royalty distribution more fair and efficient for both creators and digital music providers. So the big uh, issue here is, will AI mess them up because it takes parts of songs or uses the voice of a known artist? And yes, the answer is, yeah, th- th- it can mess them up. Uh, and the, you know, with respect to our last guest and the conversation we had there, yes, there are laws that govern, you know, um, sound alikes or um, one's likeness. You know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> some of that stuff is protected and whatnot. So, you know, when he says there are existing laws and whatnot, that's true. Although, how many times have you listened to the radio and heard a celebrity sound alike impersonator and thought, man, that guy sounds just like the real person. The real person didn't make any money while that person was doing their impression of that person. And in music, that's currently not the case, right? You, you know, I can impersonate Bad Bunny, but I couldn't, uh, the, the, um, the artist from Puerto Rico, but I, I could not um, impersonate him to the point where I could like, you know, steal work from the guy because then he could sue me. And I don't know that that is uh, currently, I'm not saying people are, uh, that it's legal. I'm saying people are going to do it and get away with it because it's hard to enforce. <clears throat> anyway, so that's the, uh, the case on this music thing, which I thought was interesting that everybody's going to Congress now saying, hey, help me, help me, help me. Uh, but on the music front, there's something else I want to share with you. But I don't want to start it just yet. So I think I'll take a break here and then we'll come back and talk about this music. Because this was a story last week and it's still a story today. And I think, man, I was thinking to myself, this is something I wanted to speak about. And just we got caught up in the whirlwind. So don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. That's Bryson Gray and his new song, Reclaim the Rainbow. And this song hit number one on the Apple chart. And I find it interesting because, again, I wanted to talk about this last week when it happened. And uh, it's it's an interesting song. I like it. It's a great song. Um, it, it's an interesting angle that the media is taking here. And I was just, during the break, I was telling Mr. Hinton that uh, I... what jogged my memory was that I was looking at this music stuff we were just talking about with artificial intelligence. 
And I saw a story from earlier today published by Forbes magazine with the headline, this anti-LGBTQ plus song blocked BTS's Jimin from Billboard's number one spot. And I thought to myself, if I were ever number one in something or whenever I'm number one in something and somebody were to report that news as this conservative broadcaster blocked so-and-so from the number one spot, I, I would be upset. I would feel slighted. I would think, hmm, this isn't a story about me and the work that we've achieved with this amazing audience. This is about how they wanted that guy to be number one and it didn't happen. So I'm now somehow blocking him from his rightful position of number one. In New York, there's a saying for this. It's abbreviated F-O-H. You figure out the F, the rest of it is out of here. F out of here. That's, that's not how you write a headline. Come on. The, the story here is Bryson Gray hits number one for his uh, song about reclaiming the rainbow from LGBTQ or the LGBTQ movement. Now there's a story. And, you know, our Bryson Gray beats out BTS's Jimin from Billboard's number one spot because that's, in effect, what happened. He didn't cheat. He didn't block you know, I mean, in effect, it's honest, it's true, it's correct, right? Yeah, he blocked them, but he blocked them because he legitimately earned that traction. So I just found that to be very interesting, but I wanted to talk about the song because it made all this controversy because it was released during Pride Month, and he's just basically saying, look, you know, while those in the Pride Movement are using the flag as their symbol, the, the flag is really, uh, I mean, the rainbow is originally a symbol created by God, uh, for peace, to say, you know, I won't destroy the earth again following the flood, uh, you know, in the story many of us know as Noah's Ark. So, Bryson Gray's latest rap song is proof, according to Blaze Media, that Christians can win the culture war if they simply utilize their nuclear weapon, the Bible. Gray, who is best known for his um, songs supporting Donald Trump and other songs uh, insulting Joe Biden, like the hit song, Let's Go Brandon, <laughs> uh, unleashed a nuke on Friday, dropping Reclaim the Rainbow, a song reminding listeners that the rainbow symbol is a biblical promise, not uh, a statement of gender or sexuality. And that was very controversial. And I don't want to get too deep into this. I'm going to invite him on the show, and if he can make it, hopefully he will. Uh, there's a, a a verse featured by Shamika Michelle. She's a, a commentator that I've seen a bunch of times. I actually did a panel with her at CPAC a couple of years ago. The bottom line here is that I just think it's amazing how the media glosses over this. And it, it is an amazing story to me that, yes, things like this can happen, right? People can make whatever kind of song they want. Rap music isn't always about a negative message. Um, Gray doesn't curse, and all of his stuff is pretty positive um, with respect to, you know, the government, society, Christian values. That's the type of stuff he raps about. And as you can see, he hit number one on the Billboard chart. So interesting. And he's unapologetic. Some people are very indifferent to the issue of homosexuality. Gray isn't. Gray says, 
The Bible calls it an abomination. I see it as sin. It's that simple. And he still hit number one. So Reclaiming the Rainbow, RTR, uh, number one song on iTunes, on the hip-hop charts, number three on all songs across all genres. So good for him. Kudos, Bryson Gray. Open Phone America starts right now. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. Welcome to the program. That's Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. If you want to join us on our telephone line, you're welcome to do that. It's our late-night national town hall forum, and it's a big conversation, so gather around the table. We're going to talk about America. Literally, our program, we're blessed to have a program that goes straight from here in New York, the Statue of Liberty, all the way down to the Golden Gate Bridge, over to Alaska, back again, straight around the middle of the country. You're talking Iowa, Missouri, Wisconsin. I mean, it's just fantastic, uh, the reach that we have and, and how many people can call in and contribute. This is like local radio on steroids, right? Because we talk about national issues, but we talk about it with local people like you from every corner of this fruited plain. So I'm looking forward to speaking with you. Open Phone America is a tradition we've had on this program for quite a while, um, like since its inception, or at least since Larry King took it over in the 70s. Prior to that, it was Long John Neville and uh, a good broadcaster in his own right. And we maintain that tradition here. 8334 Getting to your calls momentarily. But first, I want to... Um, there was a story that I wanted to highlight here because there's several. Um, first, I wanted to, um, again, thank the audience for just participating in the program. I know there's not a lot of um, live call-in programs anymore. Uh, so I, I love the fact that we still are one. And, and I also love the fact that we have a whole hour dedicated to dealing with the conversations that you all want to have, right, for you to be heard, the listener. And I think that's so important because this show is ultimately for you, the listener. And, and I, something I'll never forget, and I, I want to make sure that we honor every time that we're on the air here because it's important to have these conversations. And we try to have really interesting conversations, right? Former presidents, secretaries of state, people that are involved in the machinations of government and policymaking, uh, doctors and lawyers and newsmakers and, you know, the survivors of interesting stories. But ultimately, it's it's you all that make this program what it is. So um, I'm grateful to you and, again, invite you to call in. Now, the story I wanted to talk about was these four Mexican nationals that were arrested in connection with the smuggling tragedy that killed 53 people in San Antonio, Texas last summer. Horrible. 
And uh, today is the one-year anniversary that that trailer was found on Quintana Road on Southwest Side. So four Mexican nationals have been arrested in connection with a human smuggling operation that killed 53 people a year ago in San Antonio. U.S. Attorney Jaime Esperanza announced the arrest during a news conference today in San Antonio. And those that were arrested, Riley Covarrubias Ponce, 30 years old, Felipe Orduña Torres, 28 years old, and Luis Alberto Rivera Leal, 37 years old. And one more, Armando Gonzalez Ortega, 53. I'm guessing he was the boss. He's the oldest. They were all charged with conspiracy to transport illegal aliens resulting in death, conspiracy to transport illegal aliens resulting in serious bodily injury and placing lives in jeopardy, transportation of illegal aliens resulting in death and transportation of illegal aliens resulting in serious bodily injury and uh, placing lives in jeopardy are the charges that all of them were faced with. They collectively can face life in prison. Now, listen, I think that's the type of example you got to make here. People need to know exactly what's going on and how serious this is. According to the federal lawsuit, the indictment, the six suspects worked together to transport men, women, and children from Mexico, Guatemala, and Honduras into the United States. Each of the immigrants uh, paid up to $15,000 U.S. to the smugglers in order to be transported across the border. The indictment um, added that the fee normally included at least three attempts to smuggle the immigrants into the U.S. if the first attempt um, uh, resulted in their capture by U.S. law enforcement um, at or near the border. So the organization would smuggle them into the U.N. Uh, the U.S. again at no additional fee. Now, these smugglers work together by using each other's routes, their guides, stash houses, trucks, trailers, and transportation devices. The uh, indictment laid that out for everybody to see. The team uh, enabled, the teamwork that they did enabled the smugglers to consolidate their costs and spread the risk a little bit more moderately and operate at a higher profit margin. Unbelievable. The indictment alleges that the immigrants were each given a clave or a code word, a password to provide at various points along their journey that proved that the immigrant was a customer of a smuggler who had already paid the fee. So just imagine that. You get there and there's a, you know, a cartel member behind a tree and he's like, hey, what's the password? Que es la clave? And you say, uh, no hablo inglés, you know, and next thing you know, boom, this guy kills you because you don't know the word of the day. Just amazing the way things are going at that border. Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas should be ashamed of themselves. Anyway, that's the story. Uh, It's the one-year anniversary of that tractor-trailer incident where 53 people were found dead in the back of it. Just absolutely horrible. Let's hit the phones. Let's go to Gil. He's in Manila, Philippines. uh, Gil, go right ahead. Okay. Uh, Several things. I'll try to get them quickly. First of all, a minor correction. Uh, The U.S. attorney's name is Esparza, not Esparanza. Jaime Esparza. Ah. I know because he's a good friend of mine. Okay, very nice. And uh, he, he was former 
former uh, district attorney in El Paso. But okay, uh, chain migration. Um, do you? What do you think of Melania Trump? I think she's terrific. Okay. Well, do you know that she brought her parents here using the uh, chain migration from Slovenia? This is before yeah. Donald Trump was elected to office and everything. So, I yeah, mean... I'm sure a lot of people have done uh, it. Oh, yeah. Uh, in this country, there are um, a couple of hundred thousand people waiting on the list for chain migration. And the wait is about 18 years from the time the papers are filed on your behalf and the government takes the money. If you come from Mexico, if you come from the Philippines, uh, several other countries, it's a long, long wait because only a certain number of slots are allotted to each country. And uh, that's determined by the population of the country. For example, China and India get many more slots to bring people in under this uh, immigration program, family immigration program. Uh, so uh, uh, what was the reason, or one of the reasons I came here in 2013, um, Marco Rubio was part of a group in Congress that was, was trying to reform the immigration mm -hmm. process. And if that had happened, the people who were waiting legally to come into the country would have been pushed to the front of the line before other people were allowed. That was part of that, uh, that plan. And I was working with immigration lawyers in the States to set up a service here to prepare their clients to go to the uh, U.S. Uh, embassy for their interview. You cannot get a visa to go to the United States without going through an interview process in the in the uh, in the embassy. But um, that's how it is. Well, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, when I was doing immigration work, my most famous client was uh, Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway. They yeah. own a company in Texas called Acme Brick, and working in a brick kiln is work that 99% of Americans would never do, no matter how much they get paid. But they could find people from, they brought people from Mexico. And uh, I uh, took some of those workers and got their visas renewed. Uh, so I worked, I was paid by Warren Buffett to do that some years ago. Pretty cool. I mean, it's pretty cool to work with Buffett. And um, did he give you any investing advice? Uh, one other thing, if I might, uh, <laughs> yeah. if you want, if you want a, a real good interpretation of a Supreme Court decision, go to the um, uh, uh, the website of Cornell University Law School. Uh, mm -hmm. They they their interpretation uh, is doesn't seem to go either way as far as being liberal or conservative, and they put it in words and terms. You don't have to be a lawyer to understand. And I know lawyers who use that uh, website to uh, check on the latest uh, Supreme Court decision. Outstanding. Uh, I use it actually all the time. It's, it's one of the easiest websites to, to find a law. If you're looking for a law by statute, it has one of the easiest ways to look it up. 
Now, Gil in Manila, Philippines, I have a question for you. Uh, what is your um, opinion of of what's happening with this case, the 53 people that were found dead a year ago today? Did these guys, um, will they be made an example of? Will this deter anything? Does it matter at all? Oh, it matters because of the, the heinous nature of their crime. If they get put into a prison, they will have to be put under special protection because they'll be on the list of people that the other inmates will want to do away with. You know, they're, you know, you, it's like being a, uh, a child molester. Yeah. Or, I guess I, I, I guess the, uh, I'm trying to think of, of uh, the name of uh, the, uh, the cannibal, um, Jeffrey Dahmer. You know, he was he was murdered by another prisoner in prison because of the heinous nature of his crime. So, uh, all right, I'll that's take how it. it works. I'll take it, Gil. Well, a pleasure to hear from you. Thank you for all of the um, editorial notes. I appreciate it. Um, hoping uh, to see you sooner rather than later. Okay. Well, very good. All right. Take care, Gil. All right, folks, we're going to continue with the rest of your calls straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number, 833-482-5337. We continue with Open Phone America, allowing you to share what's on your mind and be heard. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. And, you know, Gil was mentioning uh, a bunch of uh, different jobs that people would do or that they do with respect to working in America and, and coming from another country. And that's why you need chain migration, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but <clears throat> and this isn't to refute his point or anything. It's just I recently had lunch at a place and. This is to make the point that it's not always about these jobs that people won't do. These are just sometimes just jobs to for the ambiance, right? So th- there is a um, a British English soccer star. He's retired now. His name's Jamie Carragher. And there's a restaurant in New York City with his namesake. He owns a part of it. A friend of mine is also a, a part owner, equity owner there. And the place is called Carragher's. And I recently went there with um, one of the bosses here at Westwood One. Uh, they took me to lunch to uh, congratulate me on being named to the Talkers Magazine Heavy 100 list, America's 100 most important radio hosts. And 
believe it or not, they picked me uh, to be one of those 100, number 88 to be exact. And I was grateful for, you know, the recognition and all that. Uh, but what's cool about Carragher's is that while Jamie Carragher is, like I said, he's, he's a Brit, um, football, as they call it, is popular all over, you know, England, Ireland, all over Europe. And nearly every single person that you interact with in that bar is from England or Ireland. So it's got a real British slash Irish pub feel to it when everybody, you know, sounds like, like they're from England or Ireland. And it's just fascinating. And I know that the way they do that is they bring in a bunch of people that specialize in making those British types of cocktails from England or from Ireland and um, bring them here on a visa, usually like six months in length, and then they swap them out, you know, for, for the others. But it's just interesting. Um, that it's not always work that others won't do, but it's work that others are very familiar with, you know, uh, since they know how to make these things and they know these menus, then they're the, the right person for the job. Just very interesting was, was my point, that there's a lot of reasons that people would, would come to the United States. And it's not always to do a job somebody else wouldn't. Because uh, I think you'd find plenty of people to be a wait staff in in New York City. I think the bigger issue is, is is paying them, right? So uh, I don't know what they pay the people that are on the visas, but I do know they have really cool, amazing, very kick-butt accents, you know? So always makes me want when I, I, can I get an extra napkin, please? Oh, but of course you can. You know, I think, oh, I feel like, oh, top of the morning to you. Thank you very much. You know, it just makes me want to speak to them that way. I don't know, I'm silly like that. <clears throat> I've been like that since I was a kid. Anyway, we're going to get to your calls momentarily. It's just the clock is ticking in front of me. And if I take one now, you'll, You'll get hit with the music before you get your first word out. So we're going to get to your calls straight ahead on the other side of this. Don't go anywhere. The uh, Let's see, we got people from Montana, Missouri, South Carolina, all calling in. I'm looking forward to speaking with you. Ohio, always a pleasure. 833-482-5337. 833-4VALDEZ. And that's Rich Valdez, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And you can feel free to drop a comment on there as well. I also put some interesting pictures uh, on my Instagram. If you want to check out Instagram, you can check out some of the pictures uh, wherever I go somewhere. I try to snap a picture to kind of keep everybody up to speed on what's going on. And make sure you check out our website, richvaldezamericaatnight.com. Richvaldezamericaatnight.com is the website. We're looking forward to your calls and more straight ahead, 833 833- Four eight two five three three seven.
It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And you may have heard that Pat Sajak has retired. They have tapped Ryan Seacrest to be the new host of Wheel of Fortune. The question is, will Vanna White remain as the co-host? She has apparently lawyered up. Vanna White, I'm guessing, is a little bit concerned about what happens now that they've brought in Seacrest. Seacrest is 48, and it was announced on Tuesday that he would be Pat Sajak's replacement. However, it remains to be seen whether Sajak's longtime letter turner, Vanna White, 66 years old, if she'll be uh, joining Seacrest on the revamped program. Now, Vanna White has appeared on Wheel of Fortune since 1982, and she's apparently retained counsel. She has lawyered up in the wake of Sajak's retirement amid claims that she hasn't had any pay increases in 18 years. Whoa. According to um, an outlet called Puck News, that's with a P, and it's not silent, White has been making about $3 million a year since 2005 and has received only bonuses but not a raise in that time period. Sajak is 76. He's uh, reportedly paid way more for his duties. In 2016, Forbes reported that he earned $15 million a year for the show. Now Vanna White is said to have hired an aggressive powerhouse attorney, Brian Friedman, who's uh, represented a slew of Hollywood heavyweights during disputes with TV networks that employ them. So, I mean, hey, it sounds like as good a time as any to um, negotiate a pay raise, but I don't think she's doing anything wrong here. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to know, um, does the show survive? You know, when they, when they replaced um, Regis and Kelly, right, which was before it was Regis and Kathy Lee, right? So it went from Regis and Kathy Lee to Regis and Kelly. It didn't become Kelly and Michael Strahan right away. It didn't become Kelly and Ryan right away, right? It was, they, they kept, you know, a little bit of the old, a little bit of the new. And I think that's how you have to make it work. You have to kind of weave in and out to ease a transition like that because people may not necessarily enjoy the new person. They may, they may, or they may not. You got to give them a chance. But that's the case with uh, Vanna White. And I'm fascinated because I think, this is, A, it's an amazing show. And, um, and B, just really curious, just curious to see how this thing ends up. So I'd like your opinions on that as well. Uh, let's go to the phones. <clears throat> let's check in with, let's see, uh, Seth, Kirksville, Missouri, KTTR, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hello, can you hear me? Wonderful. Can you hear me? I hear you wonderfully, sir. Wonderfully. The whole world hears you say, can you hear me? (laughs) Okay, I just wanted, so I just wanted to talk about, um, the current state of the American culture, um, I think we're in a really, really bad time. Um, I think a lot of people would probably agree with that. Um, what, what are exactly just, are you referencing? Just, uh, just the culture that's being pushed upon us 
um, through media, um, movies, music. It's it's just it's all so negative, um, and it's like the attitude is of the general public is like it's cool to be bad, it's cool to be negative. Uh, you mean like James Dean, Rebel Without a Cause, nineteen fifties? Kind of, but just not in a cool way. Just kind of like in this ignorant, just I don't care. And like, I'm just, it's cool. Like, it's cool to just be ignorant these days and not care. And, you know, I'm just, I'm really tired of it. Um, we really need to just get back to God and Jesus because that's the only thing that matters at the end of the day. We all just need to repent and get back to our roots um, and give our souls to Jesus because all that matters in this world. Yeah. You know, Seth, I, I, I agree with you um, in many ways that the popular culture has, and listen, I love popular culture, right? So I, I'm the guy that, you know, you, you can find me in a restaurant, lounge, slash nightclub on a weekend listening to any one of the top 40 charts and having a grand old time. Uh, but I, I will tell you that I do believe that it's, it's – um, it's not always positive and healthy. It's not the right direction for, for a lot of things. And, you know, people can choose to do whatever they want, but we shouldn't make the status quo something that's not I, um, ideally good for anybody. And I think that's kind of where we've landed as, as a country, as a society, just lately. Uh, popular culture is unhealthy. You know, it's, it's not the, the best scenario. Uh, it promotes things that aren't necessarily... Um, going to build society, but sometimes things that will actually help, um, I don't want to say destroy, but minimize society in certain ways. Whereas, you know, marriage doesn't seem to be very popular anymore, and it becomes less and less popular as we look at it. Uh, working in an office, full-time employment, just so many things that I think were once positive things aren't necessarily the case anymore. And a lot of it has to do with uh, the culture. And as you've indicated, whether it's through entertainment or media, enter um, the, the news media or the entertainment media, there's a lot of influence out there. And it's important, I think, that we, you know, take calls with people like you that can bring this to the forefront um, and share those observations and that we talk about them and we, we do something about them. And I think it's okay to let your hair down and blow off a little steam, but we should have, we, we need to do better, is my point, especially around, uh, I think, younger Americans who have a whole lot of their future ahead of them we have to do better. And I don't know that we're there yet, Seth. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's just going to take, uh, I believe, a just a cultural change. And I hope that we, we get there. I have hope. Um, but, yeah, it, just, it starts with, you know, you as yourself as a person. You have to... You have to make that change and just make your own way in life. Just don't don't follow other people and what you see on TV or, you know, think that, you know, just because it's popular that it's right or that right. it's good to do, it's cool, you know, because it's not, you know, just, you know. Just no, that's be, a great be point. A be a pioneer is right. And, you know, it's it reminds me of, of something uh, I once read in one of the uh, epistles, and it's from the apostle Paul. And he says, if you don't know how to follow, this is my paraphrase, um, if you don't know how to follow Jesus, follow me, because I'm following Jesus, 
right? <laughs> Making the case that I, I know it's not easy to walk that walk, but um, look for somebody that's walking that walk and emulate them and, and keep pointing towards True North. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'm going to move on right here, but thank you, Seth. I appreciate it. There, Folks, there is more to come. I'm going to, we have time for one more before we take the break. So I'll continue that. Let's go to Elizabeth calling from Reading, Pennsylvania, W-E-E-U. Go right ahead. Good evening. A quick question. Um, there's talk about the, the gays and the trannies having Pride Month. My question is, what are they proud of? Yeah. So, you know, it's an interesting thing. When I'm trying to be sarcastic, I constantly put those comments on social media and say, wow, is this what they're proud of? You know, when they're beating up people or badgering a street preacher or something like that. But the reality is earlier last week, we had a guest on the program, and you could find that at richvaldezamericatnight.com. Her name was Emma Jo Morris. Is And Emma Jo Morris was the reporter that broke the story of the Hunter Biden laptop that was eventually, uh, you know, censored by Twitter, and we didn't hear about it until way later, and, you know, almost shut the New York Post, well, it did shut the New York Post down. And she's since moved over to Breitbart, and she's the politics editor there editor there now. And we had a conversation because she is gay and she wanted to talk about what Pride Month meant to her because she felt that it was being hijacked by transsexuals. And it was a fascinating conversation because she pointed out that, you know, the LGBTQ plus movement, all of those letters and acronyms don't exactly have something to do with one another. And she mentioned what she was proud of was the achievements that were made where people aren't getting beaten in the streets anymore for being gay and, and um, you know, where it, it, it's, it's easier for her to be accepted and to have certain rights than it, now than it was in the past. And that was something to celebrate, this um, equality, if you will. So interesting conversation. I learned a lot in that uh, talk with Emma Jo Morris, and you're welcome to check out our website and listen to it yourself. But I agree with you. When they do something silly, the first thing I ask myself is, what exactly is it that you're proud of? Proud of what? Anyway, great, great comment. Thank you so much, Elizabeth in Reading, Pennsylvania, W-E-E-U. More from the rest of America when we return. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. With Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's our favorite late night national town hall forum. Uh, One of the best conversations that we have coast to coast every single night. Uh, It's kind of like everybody in America getting around the big kitchen table and talking about the policies and matters and stories that matter to everybody, right? The ones that matter to me are the silly ones, the crazy ones. I love reading about that stuff. Uh, the, The more off the wall, the more entertaining it is for me. Uh, but 
we get into some of the serious stuff that borders some people, you know, who might be new to the show saying it might border uh, boring, right? Somebody say, oh, that policy stuff is boring. But I think it's important to know so that you're equipped, you're an informed patriot, and you can be a very productive member of the citizenry when you get out there and you know stuff. You've learned it from one of the experts that we've had on the show, and you're equipped to be, uh, if nothing else, a better armchair um, quarterback, right? Or a better armchair um debater or an analyst or observer of, of America's um, body politic and making you, uh, I don't know, an America at night expert of your own. Let us uh, continue with the calls. 833-482-5337, 833-4-Valdez. Let's go to Westerly Road Island, WXLM in Hartford, is the station you're listening to. Herb, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Rich Valdez. How are you doing, sir? Wonderful. Thank you, Herb. What's going on? Herb, Herb with an H. Yeah. How are you doing? <laughs> That's how I, I do it, too. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know you do. That's the French. Go uh, ahead. Yeah. Well, so the other day you played a, um audio of, uh, it was like a gay pride march. And, oh, uh, yeah. In New York City? Did it go gay, like this? We're, we're here, we're queer, and we're coming for your children? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. And not too many people heard that. So I uh, I listened to a radio station locally, and I, I said that to somebody. So other people heard about that. That was disgusting. Uh, that's very bad. Yeah, you know, and you'll get your chance to talk about what you want to talk about. I just want your opinion on this. You know, because I heard that, and I just thought, I can't believe that. Like, if straight people said, hey, you know, we're straight, we're whatever, we're coming, why the hell would you say you're coming for somebody's children if you don't want to just get them, like, all out of sorts in your face, right? Uh, especially in New York City. People take things the wrong way all the time. Everybody's, you know, running at a 1,000 miles an hour all the time. I can't imagine why they would say that. I don't think that adds anything to their movement. I don't think it makes any sense at all. Uh, but some people were saying, well, we appreciate their honesty. We know what they're what they're all about. I don't appreciate your honesty. I really don't. Stay away from kids, right? I don't know. Herb with an H, your turn. No, uh, it's not. That's not good at all. I think uh, that we're disregarding um, them to a point where they are saying things that they're honest, that what they want to do. Of course, they're trying to come for children because they're trying to uh, uh, sway the children uh, away from the parents and, you know, all Mm -hmm. that stuff. You know what they're trying to do. You know what they're trying to do. They're... It's very, very bad stuff, but we're disregarding them because we think that, yeah, they're nothing but, you know. You right, know, just harmless people, harmless people that are in love. You give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. That's what my father used to say. And give That's them an the inch, truth. take a mile. And so, uh, quickly uh, to jump, when I was with a, a woman that I truly, truly loved, um, her brother was gay, and, and I, it was at first hard for me to deal with that because I wasn't really into that uh, never have been around somebody, but he was okay. You know, he only had, when I was with her for 10 years, he was with 10 different guys. And one, one time they were uh, showy with it. You know what I mean? Like Mm. sitting, hugging, kissing. And I thought that was very rude to be doing that around the family. I didn't, I didn't do that with his sister. Uh, But that's what these people do. They're very showy with what they're doing. They, you know, I don't, and I'm not going to be the one to say, because I will not say this. Too many people are saying this, that 
I don't care what they do, do it behind closed doors, blah, blah, blah. No. I care what you do. It's wrong. It's bad. And uh, you're now you're taking it out into the public. Uh, you're having parades with this stuff. You're bringing it to our elementary schools. No. Yeah, when you're coming after the kids, this is a huge problem, Herb. I agree with you. Yeah, so I'm not going to say it's okay. Nothing about this is okay. Uh, Yeah, you wanted to talk about immigration as well. Yeah, oh, that that was the thing. Thank you very much for bringing me back to that. Sure. Um, You had a guy named Gil from the Philippines that said that these guys come over here and they're hardworking and uh, nobody else will do that job. No, that's not true. I worked in Newport, Rhode Island. I worked at uh, Tiverton, Little Compton in Rhode Island. And there's many, many immigrants that are, came into that area. And the problem is, is that you can't afford to do the job that they'll do because they'll do it for $9 an hour when you got a family and you have to pay rent or a mortgage. And so right. it's not true what he said. It's okay that these guys want to do the work, and they're very hard workers. They got skill. But they'll do yeah. it for a third of what you can do it for. And then oh, sure. Can't... Cheap labor has always been at the crux of immigration. And I think what Gil was saying was in particular to the particular job that he was citing. But I agree with you. I think there, you're always going to find an American that'll do the job, any job that's out there. Yes, including picking lettuce and strawberries and whatnot, because when people are hungry enough, they'll do what they've got to do. I think that's just the bottom line. And and, and that's just how it is. I, I can't imagine people saying, no, you know what? My family can starve because I'm not picking any lettuce. I'm not picking. I, I Maybe they will. That's on them. I don't think I would limit myself that way. But uh, excellent points, Herb. Thank you for your call. I appreciate your um, your feedback and for joining the program tonight. Folks, we're going to continue with the rest of your call straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, with minutes to go before we hit the finish line, let's go to Bowling Green, Kentucky, WKCT. Check in with Bob. Hey, Bob, you're on with Rich Valdez. Quickly. Hola, Ricardo. Que pasa? Hola. I am doing well. What's on your mind, Bob? You can have tres pontes, the immigration, tres pontes. <laughs> Numero uno. Go ahead. Well, we can't do it in Spanish because there's millions of people listening and they may not get it all. I know, I know. No problem. Number one, the problem with uh, um, both work in the United States was tied to the 17th Amendment, and that was tied mm-hmm. to to uh, uh, Negros that were here in, in the, that time. And in the process of that, we've, we've seen people coming from other countries trying to make to become uh, an immigrant just because it showed up. That's crazy. Yeah, Bob, I'm sorry we're out of time. I wish we could have finished your point. Uh, it was interesting. It seems like you're making a correlation between slavery and the 17th Amendment and how they made immigration in there, and that's an interesting point. Folks, hasta la próxima. Until the next time, take care. Good night. God bless. I'm Rich Valdez.
John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.